Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, may I welcome you to this, our fine podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot, Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, nine volumes available in paperback and ebook format at Amazon. And, da-da-da-da, in case you haven't been listening, Volume 9. So there are nine volumes now on Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So please go out, show a sign of support, and buy a copy or two or three. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you today? <laughs> I figured if the new recording gets like a little uh, trumpet, maybe I get one. <laughs> I'm doing all right. It's another stormy, rainy night outside. So if you hear a little noise in the background, hopefully it's not a dog man outside my window. I think it's the rain <laughs> and the wind. Or if I suddenly disappear... That's because I see some big red eyes looking in. Yeah, run for your lives. (laughs) How's that drum go from like (laughs) Scooby-Doo? There'll be an outline of me going through the front door. Yeah, the legs. As I'm I'm looking out the back door here. Yeah, the cutout going through the door, you know, perfect. Exactly. You know, I had something funny happen today. It's nothing crazy. I'm out in the deck, and I hear this rustling in the, one of these big hedges next to the desk. Mm. I turned my head in response to the rustling, and this big hawk was in the bushes next to me. Oh. And he just, uh, it shows you how those little buggers, they hide. Oh, okay. Did he have a critter? Or no, no, but, you know, they they clip a bird here or there by my feeders. Yeah. And I've seen lots of different hawks, you know, jumping around in the bushes, even on the ground. And they're sneaky. They come in, yeah. they kind of make their way in, and they're looking around. They're waiting for somebody to come out of cover so they could jump on them, you know? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I didn't mention it to you, but I was on a little hike here uh, in North Carolina just locally last Sunday. And uh, it was kind of a dark and gray day. And I'm hiking along and I hear this rustling next to me in the woods. And uh, it was a big buck deer. But, uh, you know, his camouflage was so good, even without the leaves on the trees and stuff like that. I could hear him like he was, you know, 10 feet away from me. He was about 75 feet away from me, but he was wrestling along. But then he, when he would stop moving, I couldn't see him. And I was like, oh, I see you. Yeah. But he was like walking along next to me. Yeah, the camouflage, uh, even with the Bigfoot, how many people have said they, looked, they thought they were looking at a stump? No, well, that's why I mentioned it, because he is a deer, right? Like, we see deer constantly here. Mm -hmm. But when he was in the full woods, and he has, like, a little bit of the darker, thicker coat, you know, this time of the year, when he stood still, I couldn't see him. That's right. Even though I heard him. So you can imagine what the uh, camouflage that the hairy man has. Yeah, well, uh, we've heard, if we've heard it once, we've heard it dozens of times. That yeah. I thought it was this, I thought it was that, or I didn't see it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you talk about having an encounter with Harry Man, you may have walked by one and not even known it. Yes. So, and I've said in the past that a lot of these creatures, I think, lay down. 
Yeah, that's well that we've covered that in some of your accounts, mm-hmm. Bill, where you're looking for something vertical, but it's actually horizontal that's right. down at the ground. And if if this thing is laying behind, say, a felled tree, and just like from the eyeballs up appearing over a log. Yeah, how are you going to notice that? You you wouldn't even pick it up as not being part of the tree, like where a limb broke off or something, you know. Yeah, I'm sitting here, sitting here in my little recording area, and I'm thinking, you know, because I'm looking around and I see all these hairy men that I have here, <laughs> and they're all standing vertical. I'm going to have to knock a couple <laughs> down horizontally. <laughs> Got some nerve standard vertical. I don't know. Like you gotta, you guys get more realistic. Well, yeah, I need a couple of you on your side. <laughs> oh, get up in the tree. Yeah, let them be up on the ceiling coming down. I don't have any trees in here. <laughs> As you know, I do have some aircraft flying overhead. Yeah, let one pilot one of those fighter planes. There you go. Now you're talking. <laughs> I do have this little hairy man that I got for Christmas. He's about. An inch and a half tall, but about an inch wide in true hairy man fashion. <laughs> I could probably fit him. I'd have to cut the sides of the fuselage away <laughs> to fit his shoulders. But he's about the right scale for like a one thirty-second scale fighter. Uh-huh. I'll put him in there with a pair of goggles and a scarf on. Maybe we'll wrap an F4U Corsair around him. <laughs> could you imagine, like, flying along, going after a Japanese Zero and... Uh, Pilot of Zero looks over and sees a hairy man flying. Ah. Ah. <laughs> oh, I'm it's too much, man. <laughs> well, so what do we have, brother, in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment for today's podcast? Yes, yes. We are going back in time ah. today. All right. One of my favorites. So. This is a report coming out of the newspapers in Maine, and I may have touched on this from a different slant in the past, but I came across this again, and I'm not sure, Um, but it's a written account of what was called a 10-foot-tall wild man that was killed in 1886. Coming out of Maine? Coming out of Maine. Wow, and the wild man... Uh, is terminology that has been used for a long time. Yeah, well, that's some of the original terminology, right, as I recall. Because, you know, I went back as part of this, Bill, because we talk about it all the time. We reference it now at this stage in our fifth season that, like, we'll talk about an account and we'll say, like, well, that was before there was the term Bigfoot. So I just took a minute and went back. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the term Bigfoot really comes about in around 1958, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where uh, a journalist uh, in the Humboldt Times up in uh, Northern California, pretty cool little town there in Humboldt, Um, he had heard about some loggers in the same area in Northern California that had discovered some mysteriously large footprints. Mm -hmm. And he wrote back then in 1958, maybe we have a relative of the abominable snowman here. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all we knew about. Yeah. It was the only thing that had been spoken about the yeah. abominable. Yeah. So they, they, yeah, they started to talk about it as Bigfoot mm-hmm. there in Northern California, and there you go, just stuck. That's, that's just stuck. Yeah, interesting. But this wild man, the story, and this comes out of uh, um, the Bangor Daily News, and I'll talk about some of the other periodicals that it uh, that it appeared in. Um, It was reported as being 10 feet tall and had arms that were seven feet long and hair growing all over its face and body. That is one big boy. Yeah. And they say the article first came out in a paper that was called the Waterville Sentinel. That was a weekly paper and that went that's no longer around. Um, and then 18 years later, they had a paper replace it called the Waterville Morning Sentinel. Okay. That was established in 1904. Okay. So that's where the article first came about. That's an old article, boy. I know. 1886, <laughs> man. Yeah. That's a long time yeah, ago, yeah. man. And the, the, the story goes like this, okay? So it was in October 1886 when it was published. And it starts that 
an affrighted Frenchman from over the line arrived in Elm City, Elm City to weave a frightening tale of woe. <laughs> and it says, according to the excerpt from the Sentinel, that newspaper way back then, um, the Frenchman's story, which which is implicitly believed, is that three men were camping out in the woods about 100 miles north of Moosehead Lake in Maine. Uh-huh. And I looked up Moosehead Lake. It's in the northern central part of Maine. Uh-huh. And it says that two of the campers were away from the camp for about a week and came back to find the dead body of their companion. Uh. Yeah, by the way, when they talked about him as being the Frenchman, as being from above the line or over the line, that's what they figure, he, they, that he was from Canada. Okay. Probably from Quebec, okay. right? Yeah. Over the line, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, he told the story, and basically they came back, and his friend was dead, and they believed that it was this giant wild man. So... They, bro- they formed a posse back in town, right, to go back and hunt for this. So they went back with dozens of others searching, and they came across this thing that was, it says in quotes, it proved to be a terrible wild man, 10 feet tall with arms 7 feet in length, covered in long brown hair. Hmm. The, the posse party fired several shots at him and finally succeeded in reaching a fatal spot, laying the monster low. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised the other two guys left this guy. Did had, had, had Well, you know, he was armed, I'm sure. You know what I mean? Like he's keeping an eye on the camp mm-hmm. and they're going out checking the fur traps or something, mm-hmm. right? Whatever they were doing. Yeah, yeah. It's not that hard to believe, right? I mean, you wouldn't do it if you knew there was a 10-foot hairy man roaming around killing people. Well, I guess, I, you know, I'm just trying to put the pieces together as to when it was first seen. I, I don't think they would have left him there knowing this thing was there, but yet... No, no, I don't think so. But they're not clear on the exact timeline of when it was ever seen. Right. You know. Because um, it seems like they came back found the guy dead and yeah. took the presumptive leap that the thing had killed it. So they, Yeah, I mean, I have a feeling they saw it at some point, probably maybe leaving the camp or so, but they didn't talk about mm-hmm. it. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened after they took this thing down? Well, so that's, they, they, the story shows up all over New England. Right, shows up in the St. Albans Daily Messenger of Vermont. Um, you know that this ten-foot uh, wild man was killed in Maine. Um, a, a, another Maine newspaper says uh, a Maine newspaper of repute says that one ten-foot high was recently killed a hundred miles north of Moosehead Lake. Wow. He had previously killed one of three hunters, and the other two got reinforcements and came back and slew the giants. Wow. Yeah. So so there's all different stories that come about of it, but they say that in the papers back then, they would never really have a photograph and, and rarely even have some kind of a sketch. So nothing actually shows up. Yeah, and again, folks, you know, Kevin and I have spoken about this many times. Uh, There was no National Enquirer back then or anything bogus or hoaxy. No, it was hard to get an article in the newspaper, right? Yeah, limited space available. Only one newspaper in most of these areas, you know, all done by hand, right? Early printing presses, everything manual. Yeah, what would it have been? A sheet or two, maybe? Yeah, I mean, even here in this article, they talk about it as the broad sheets, right? Mm-hmm. Big paper, kind of like, you know, the New York Times is today. Or actually, it's kind of, I can't even say that anymore because all the papers have shrunk down in size over the past few years. Yeah, but I know what you're talking about. You used to unfold yeah. the pages on that thing. Or- yeah, it'd be folded in four sections each half. Right, just to read of the what you were looking yeah. at. 
exactly. I remember sitting on the train back in the old days up in your uh, neck of the woods now, Bill, where you get on the train and you had to, like, open up the page and then fold the paper like seven times so that you could hold it in front of you without elbowing your neighbor. Now, what do you mean my neck of the woods? Are you talking about Moosehead Lake? No, your neck of the woods is Long Island. Oh, oh, I thought it was on the Long Island Railroad. You know, yeah. Next stop, Jamaica. I thought you change it, Jamaica, <laughs> for Penn Station. <laughs> Ron Kakama. Yeah. Last stop, Ron Kakama. If you don't get off here, you're going to the rail yard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, boy, oh boy. And so this was 1886 with this uh, wild man. And then, you know, the, the article talks about the fact that Bigfoot sightings in Maine, documented Bigfoot sightings in Maine, date back to the mid-1850s. And um, up there, they talk about it as an Indian devil that the local Native Americans called Pomula. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, this in Indian lore, folklore... Uh, there have been accounts of these things uh, or or uh, handed down history of these things hundreds of years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they were always known as the hairy man or then given another name to it, you know. Yeah. So it's pretty obvious uh, that at those, in those days and times that not many of these tribes were sharing with each other. They had their own name for what they were experiencing. Yep. It wasn't like today we call them Sasquatch or Bigfoot. You know, everybody kind of, I say everybody, but a lot of people know that terminology, you know. Yeah, they know the wild man, right? That was yeah. That was even before the hairy man. Right. It's like these wild men. And people were warned about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you talk to people about this who have older relatives, uh, they were warned about these wild men that they were no good. Yeah. And you didn't want to fool with them. So people who who want to believe that, you know, this is Harry and the Hendersons you're running into out there. Uh, I'm sorry, man. I'm not in that camp. No, I mean, you know, I don't know why this is coming to me, Bill, how our crazy brains work, um, both of us. Um but, you know, we talk about the old R gang. Do you remember where they came across? The wild man? Yeah, remember that guy? Oogly boogly, yeah. And he's like, yum, yum, eat him yeah. up. Yum, yum, eat him up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I don't even remember, like, where the heck did they come across this guy? It wasn't like he was in New York City or something. No, remember they came into a room full of jewels? Was that, oh, was that the okay. one where they came into? It was like some weird episode where they came across some room full of jewels and this guy jumped out. <laughs> It's like they were inside of a pyramid. That's something. something. I don't know what it was. Something, you know. Yum, yum, eat them up. Yum, yum, eat them up. <laughs> but when you were a kid, that stuff was kind of freaky, you know? Oh, that was totally freaky. <laughs> I mean, you were just starting to hear about the cannibals and shrunken heads and all that stuff, right? Yeah. And here's this guy, obviously. Yum, yum, eat them up. <laughs> <laughs> So that, you know, that's the uh, wild man of 1886 from the Bangor Daily News. So thanks to our friends at BangorDailyNews.com up in Bangor, Maine. I mean, I, I love these old stories, and this is pretty wild. Yeah, I love them too. And it just, it doesn't have to be anything more than it is, Kev. It's, oh, yeah. it's in typeface. Uh, it's recorded in its simplicity. And to me, it's just enough to show you that these things have been around for a long time, you know. Yeah, and they weren't going for more hits on their YouTube site, you know, to get some more advertising dollars. Yeah. This was, they were just reporting the, the real news. Can you imagine people back then, like, opening up this single-sheet newspaper and eyeballing? Hearing about this 10-foot-tall, you know, Wild man with seven foot long arms and covered in brown hair. Yeah, I mean it would no. make you think twice about walking out in the fields that Holy day. Oh, cow! Know? And the place, you know, the whole place is so rural. Think about eighteen eighty six, 
up in Moosehead Lake, Maine. I mean, geez, I haven't been to Moosehead Lake, but I've been up to some of these lakes in Maine. They're all pretty rural today in 2023. Yeah, it's not a lot has changed. <laughs> no, not a lot's changed, you know. Which also brings us back to the fact of the nine and a half million acres in North America where these things could be anywhere at any point in time. Yeah, yeah. Nine and a half million, that sounds low. Yeah, well, let's make it ten and a half. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. When I think of millions of square miles, that's just like... Oh, you said acres, so, so. Oh no, square miles, please. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think you said acres. I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you did. But uh, no, that's an excellent story, Kev. And you know, folks, if you're new to this podcast, I have a custom of dragging some stuff out of the closet once in a while, and uh, I guarantee you that you have never heard an account like this in all of your days. And I'm going to go back through it with you and the rest of the audience right now. This story came to me by way of Brian Mahoney from Fargo, North Dakota. This is Brian's tale as it was conveyed to me. I had been long tired of seeing the TV shows with people banging logs on trees and never seeing anything. When I ran across your query and decided to take you where the action is. In 1967, my dad and three other men in the neighborhood took me and four other boys on a trip to Ontario to fish for muskies. We found ourselves landing at Perot Falls Airport, where we met up with a couple of float planes that ferried us up to a place near Ear Falls. My only memory was that we had rented a pretty big cabin for the week with plenty of room for all of us to rough it. Heck, we didn't care at the time if we slept in the woods. We were up in the sticks, landing on water in in a seaplane and we were going musky fishing. The dads had hired a guide whose name was Lars. We had three boats for the group. The boats were pretty big, something like 18 or 20 feet, and they had plenty of power to get get us around in a hurry. Several days into the trip, we had been into the fish hot and heavy every day, just as advertised. We were landing muskies in a range of 28 to 36 inches on a regular basis and having ourselves a ball. The fight of these fish pound for pound is outrageous. Most of the shoreline that we were fishing had forest coming right down to the water's edge. But periodically there was an area of bank with no trees that was visible along the shore. We had been fishing every day, facing the shore and pretty close to it for the most part. It must have been about 4 p.m. when we heard a loud and long roar coming from the woods. We all looked at each other and asked Lars, what the hell is that? He said that it sounded like a large grizzly bear. It was only two minutes after we heard the first roar that another one sounded off, coming from the opposite direction in the woods. There must be either two of them or one very fast runner. This is what he was thinking. Mm -hmm. Over the next 15 minutes or so, as we sat fishing fishing the bank, we heard several more roars, and it seemed like they were being made back and forth by two different bears. At least, that's what we thought at the time. Now, before I continue, I have to set you up visually for what was about to happen. We were sitting in three boats, spaced maybe 150 feet apart. All of these beats, all of these boats, were about 100 feet from the shore, facing one of these slopes on the bank that I told you about before. The water we were fishing in was approximately six feet deep, 
and the bottom was covered with the grasses that these muskies hung around in. We were all looking at each other from boat to boat as we listened to these roars, which sounded like they were getting closer and closer to our position. I don't know why, but I felt like a fuse had been lit, and a bomb was about to explode. And explode it did. Suddenly, the woods directly in front of us erupted in what I can only describe as a lion fight. The volume and intensity of the roaring was so loud that it hurt my ears. I couldn't see what was making the noise yet. I looked at the other boats to my right, and Laws was already waving to start the motors. As, as we started the engines, we were now all motoring further away from the shoreline, but everyone was still looking back at the trees. The roars almost drowned out the sound of our engines at times. We switched into neutral, and all the boats were now about 300 feet from the shore, still facing the woods. It was so intense that I personally was trembling. I could now make out two large, dark figures engaging in an apparent battle for supremacy just inside of the tree line. The roaring was unrelenting as the struggle ensued within the trees. At one point, I almost felt as though I was going to faint. I really can't find the words to describe my emotions. Right at a time when I thought that things couldn't possibly get any worse, these two giant black beasts came tumbling out of the trees, rolling down the embankment, smacking and biting each other. Both of the beasts were now in the water, and every time one started to stand, the other one would slap it, and then they would grapple, smashing each other into the water again. Each time one bit the other, the screams of pain were even louder than when they had been apart. I remember that I th thinking that I wanted to stop watching and listening, but I couldn't. I could tell that the one beast was starting to get the better of the other. And finally, with one titanic blow, the creature's body buckled to the ground and it lay there unmoving. This victor, or the victor, stood leering over the other one, growling ever more intensely and pounding its chest in the moment. It reminded me of King Kong when he beat the dinosaur. Hmm. I thought the downed beast was dead. It lay half in the water and half out, face down and not moving. Then the other beast turned to face us and raising its head into the air, let out what sounded like a half roar and a half scream as it pumped its fists and flexed its upper body. It then turned to the victim and stood over it, roaring over and over again. A few moments later, it walked up the bank, roaring and screaming into the woods. Everyone in the boats was shell-shocked and our mouths hung open. Some of the guys were holding their heads like they were losing their minds, and none of us could speak. I saw the beast that was lying in the water, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, lift its arm and drop it as though it was its last gasp. We motored away and headed back to the lodge for the evening. Now, I won't get into all of the conversation and whatnot that went on that night because there's so much more to tell you about these beasts. I had never heard a grizzly bear in my life. And when Laws said the roars had sounded like a big grizzly, something had said to me that it wasn't true. Up until that point, I had never heard anything living make a sound that loud. It was as intense as a diesel train's whistle. Had it been closer, it may have broken our eardrums. 
And when they were fighting in front of us, some of the other guys actually had their hands to their ears. The oars that were laying on the aluminum boat seats were vibrating loudly. Another thing was the fight itself. At no time during the fight did they hit each other with a closed fist. They were slapping each other open-handed, grappling and biting. It seemed to me that the biting was used to get an advantage during what appeared to be a wrestling match. The fight had been so intense that I couldn't understand how either of them could withstand another second before one of them had dropped. Lars went back to the scene the next day, and the one in the water was gone. So maybe it had survived, but we'll never know. When they were slapping and thrashing each other around in the water, the waves which they were creating were rocking our boat far off the shore. They were incredibly large, and when their mouths were open and roaring, in particular the one that in the end was looking at us while roaring, I could see huge white teeth. It looked like a bowling ball could fit in the mouth with no problem. The two of them had to be in excess of 10 feet tall and maybe 2,000 pounds. When they were slamming each other against the ground, I could feel the reverberations out on the water, and you could hear the hit. This had to be some type of animalistic fight for territory or domination of the females. It was as if they were calling each other to the duel, and neither was going to back down. In my opinion, these are vicious and bloodthirsty wild beasts that are not to be trifled with. But there are people walking around in the woods with no guns who must be out of their minds, thinking they're going to visit Mr. Happy of the forest. <laughs> Unbelievable. One of these monsters could easily take a full-grown man and throw him into orbit. How's that? This type of physical strength and force is something that we know nothing about and quite possibly never will. And I'll tell you something, folks. I'd have to say that having heard this testimony, it may be very well have taken the number one spot at the time. Uh, Brian blew me right out of the box when I sat there listening to him. And this, this testimony is just absolutely out of this world. What do you make of that, Kev? That is something else. So this is like fishing party... In the late 60s, right? Up in Ontario, Canada. Yeah, they went in there and float plane. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were out there, man. And the hairy, man. I mean, we have heard before, you know, not necessarily during a fight, but, you know, some of those recordings of the roar, um, to me, they do sound like a diesel train uh, um, horn. And, you know, and that's what they compared it to as well, right? And really, you know, if you're close enough, uh, if you're close enough to them, who knows what this thing would sound like oh. or do to you. Yeah, but, you know, something that's 2,000 pounds and has a mouth big enough to fit a bowling ball in can make some noise. Yeah. Little hippo hurricane hum. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, the hurricane hippo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we should have warned everyone to cover their ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. But yeah, that is a, I mean, can you, I can't even imagine in the description of the oars vibrating while they're sitting there in these aluminum boats. Yeah, just sl wow. slapping, biting, and grappling hmm. like a wrestling match. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see the biting, you know, why not? Yeah. Well, look, man, I don't know what these things are capable of withstanding. Yeah. But if you think of a 10-foot-tall beast laying into... I mean, we know these things can twist tree limbs on a live tree. Yeah. Who knows what kind of power they can 
bring to uh, bring to the table as far as an open hand slap yeah. to a head. If it hit, Whack. if it hit me or you, our head would probably pop like a pumpkin. Yeah, it's a little hockey fight. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, so that's it, man. Freaking brutal. That is fantastic, Bill. What a, what an account. Yeah. And I like to bring them out, you know. I go back, and uh, there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of stuff that needs to be told time and time again to just keep your mind fixed, you know. On I, I like the description too of like they thought it was like two lions having a fight before they saw it, right? Which you can imagine, two lions having a fight would be like that, right? Kind of swatting one another and wrestling and getting a bite on one another's necks. Yeah, just. You know, just this yeah. vicious animal struggle. Yeah. You know, and they're looking to hurt each other. This isn't for oh, fun, no you doubt know. about it. One of them is going to die. Yeah, you would yeah. think. Yeah. So, uh, or at least be left for dead. Yeah, well, yeah. apparently they said, or he said, the one that was left laying on the bank in the, in the water uh, raised its arm at one time like it was its last gasp, you know. But yeah. maybe it recovered. Uh, how yep. else would it get out of there unless the other thing came back and dragged it into the woods? Yeah, or another one, you know, came back and dragged it into the woods. Right? Yeah. Not necessarily the one that beat the crap out right, of it. Right, just to retrieve it, you know? Yeah. And that's an interesting point, Kev, because I've said time and time again that these things buried it dead. Yeah. And uh, if that was the case, uh, if there was more than one of them, which there has to be, these two probably, there were others that were aware of what was going to go down. And right. when that roar... Now, why do you think, I know you said that before, why do you think they bury their dead? Just because there aren't any bodies? Well, I think that would be the uh, the prelude to not finding a lot of bodies, like dead bodies laying okay. around in the woods. Okay. I think the only way you're going to find one is if you happen to dig in an area where one was buried... Or perhaps in the case of, uh, uh, what was that fella's name? You know, the fella that found, uh, came up behind that truck on the interstate, the creature was laying on the oh, side yeah, of the yeah. road? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't, any other time I, I could, can't think yeah. of the name. Yeah. The Spanish couple. Yeah. And, uh, anyways, you know, I, don't, I think some of these things, I'm sure some of these things have been found. Uh, but yeah. we we just uh, did hustled away, you know, like a UFO or anything else that they just don't want to talk about, you know. Well, I was going to say, you know, you're saying that they bury the dead because they're not there's no bodies, and you know me, I'm always the Occam's Razor guy, you know, looking for the most obvious explanation. And I was thinking, like aliens taking their bodies back to the spaceship would be the most obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, maybe obvious to me is not a good example. <laughs> hey, look, here come some aliens picking up the Bigfoot. Let's get yeah, out of picking here. Picking up the Bigfoot. What's that spaceship doing here? They're picking up the dead Bigfoot. Where do you think the bodies go? <laughs> They're taking them yeah, to the landfill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's crazy stuff, though, man. And, uh, you know, I don't know what you think about that, but that is like out-of-the-box nuts. Well, I mean, it's it's you gotta figure that they do fight with one another. Every animal right? species has tussles. Yeah, especially the males. Yeah, you know, yeah. and we see the deer, the bucks fight to the death. They will, Absolutely. they will kill each other. Bears too, too. Grizzlies. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't phase me in the least that these things, from time to time would engage in some type of warfare. Yeah. You know, it's kind of part of the fall of the planet that everything was supposed to be peaceable from the get-go, but then the flip occurred, you know? Yep. So that's it. Yeah, by the way, speaking of UFOs and that, well, first off, great account. Now, I don't know if the comet will be gone by the time this podcast airs, but we're going to have to talk about it. You see the news about this green-hued comet that's 
coming along this week? Yeah. Is it here yet? Because I've had cloud cover for days. I- it's not here yet, I don't think. But it's, you know, of course, it's stormy and rainy here as yeah. well. But I think they're saying that, I think I read that February 4th is going to be the best day to see it in the Northern Hemisphere. Okay. So that's still two weeks away. Yeah. So. But, but uh, again, I don't know when this one's going to air. It might be right around there, February 4th. But um, the, uh, we got to talk about that if we're, if we're both fortunate enough to see it. Yeah, well, you know I'm looking, man. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. I hope I can see it because I love that stuff. Yeah, well, and I think the other thing that's positive for seeing this is that um, it's going to be a new moon coming up here, so no moon in the sky. Yeah, it's going to be dark. Dark. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. So let's see what happens. We'll hope for the best, you know. Yeah, man. All right, well, we got some great listener mail this week. Okay. I think it's time for that. Yeah, let's lay it on, my brother. All right, so the first email comes in from Rick in the big thicket in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, Dear WJ and KJ, love the podcast and the banter between you guys. So which one of you was raised by the Bigfoot? <laughs> oh, uh, he says, oh, I digress. <laughs> After listening to one of your reports about Goatman down here in Texas, my buddy and I went out to the bridge in the evening. <laughs> what bridge? And he said, <laughs> the goat, goat man bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he says, in fairness, we didn't hang around till midnight and we didn't flash our headlights to draw the demon out, but no sign of him. Uh-huh. But as a God-fearing Christian, I think that's a great thing that there was no sign of him. Yeah. He knew not to mess around <laughs> says, with you. He says, I have no desire to stare into the red glowing eyes of a Satan-like horned beast. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you, brother. Well said, Rick. Yeah. He says, keep up the good work, Rick. Yeah. See, I don't know why. You know, if you ask for trouble, it's coming, brother. Oh, I know. And it may not be coming today, but it's coming. So, uh, No, and I got to go back and look at that one, but I think that was the thing. Like, if you went there at midnight... Certain days, and you flash your headlights on one side of the bridge, then you see the goat man. So Rick's making reference to that. Like, ooh. see, in, in other words, Kev, they're entering into like a formula. They're following and basically creating an invitation mm. with the belief that do thus. Yeah, they're the, conjuring this. That's right. Beast that's right. It's like an incantation. Oh, yeah. The flashing, the time, the belief. It's an open invitation to bring evil in. So yep. uh, Rick is right about that. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see the red eyes. I don't want freaking goat man to show up. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Don't forget the goat horns. Yeah. Oh, spell. please, goat man. Please, please, please come. Jerk. <laughs> wow. Careful what you wish for. All right. Our next email go, comes from a long way away from Andre from Qatar. Wow. Yeah. He says, hi, WJ and KJ. Yes, there are some of us in Qatar that listen to Bigfoot podcasts. Woo. But please don't say my family name on the podcast. Yeah. Hope that you gentlemen enjoyed the World Cup. We did our best to host a good one. Mm-hmm. We don't have any cryptids over here, but maybe that's just because alcohol is illegal. <laughs> <laughs> and Andre says, anyway, thanks for putting a smile on my face every time I listen. Best regards, Andre. You know, Kev, it's interesting. You know, you and I both know that on our host site, we we yeah. can see where people are downloading our our show, right? Not by name, but we can see how many people in Qatar. That's right. Qatar, or however you pronounce it, uh, are downloading uh, the podcast, and they're out there. I mean, it's virtually everywhere. Yeah, it's folks. Uh, it is the craziest thing uh, to be doing this podcast and to see the statistics of where people are downloading. 
I, I mean, Kev, there are places in this in that stat sheet I've never heard of. Oh, I know. I don't even know what these places are. Are they countries? <laughs> are they county? I don't even know what they are. You know, it's bizarre, and there are people out yeah. there listening to. They're all listening. They're looking for the hairy man. Ah. Maybe a dog man or a rougarou, too. And maybe just a black-eyed child. Ah. Come on in. <laughs> Want some cookies? <laughs> Why don't you sit over there? I just there want to use your phone. While I load my over-under, why don't the two of you just <laughs> sit right over there? I'll be right back. <laughs> All right, and our last email comes in, again, from overseas, from Donal. No D on the end. Donal from Cork, Ireland. Uh-huh. He says, hi, boys. Greetings from your ancestral land, or at least one of the ancestral lands. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I love your brotherly chit-chat. You can definitely tell that other than the accounts, you are very much unscripted and unbounded. <laughs> That's for sure, Donald. <laughs> although we don't have, yeah, although we don't have the hairy man over here, yeah. as far as I know, you got hairy women. We do have. Yeah, no, no, no. He says, he said, there you go. See, that's the unbounded thing he was referring to. That's my brother. Uh, don't. Listen, no hairy women over. Yeah, it's nothing like a woman. He says, although we don't have the hairy man here, as far as I know, we do have an abundance of legends, sprites, and of course. Can you give the Emerald Isle some love in future broadcasts? What did he say his name was? Donut? (laughs) No, Donald. Donald is an Irish name. Donald. And by the way, Donald, I have been to Cork, Ireland probably six or seven times. Very cool city. Uh Uh, Do they sell cork there or what do they do over there, cork? They don't sell any <laughs> You know, that is the city that the, uh, um, I think the Titanic uh, was setting sail to, if I'm not mistaken. Or at least they rescued people from, get set out from Cork, Ireland huh. to rescue people from the White Star Lines. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was a tragedy, boy. Oh, man. You know, I was looking that up the other day, Bill. When do you think that was, off the top of your head? Uh, 1914. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. It was 1914. When was the Statue of Liberty brought to New York Harbor? 1886. 1889. Wow, that was close. Close, but no cigar. But I was thinking 1920s or so for uh, uh, the Titanic, but you're right, 1914. Yeah. It was a different world back then, man, and, you know, man, those people crazy. didn't know what they were in store for. No way. Yeah, yeah. just total tragedy. Crazy. But uh, and By the way, you know I'm a, I'm a sailboat racer, Bill, and for our listeners out there, for you, I haven't told you about this, you got to tune in on the YouTube channel each day and check out, they call it now the Ocean Race, which is the round-the-world race mm-hmm. that these crazy guys and gals do. Used to be called the Whitbread. It was sponsored by Whitbread, Whitbread around the world. Now it's just called the Ocean Race. And they set sail out of Europe, I think about five or six days ago. So every day they do an update. And you see these guys sailing along in these crazy seas. And now they're doing like 30 or 40 knots in these hydrofoiling sloops. Boy, oh boy. Unbelievable. You got to check out the footage. Who helps these people out there if they go down? Uh, God. Really? There's no, well, there's nobody, no big chase boats. Well, what could keep up that no. speed? Nobody out there. Yeah. Wow. No. I mean, they could help one another. Yeah. Right? In theory. I mean, they certainly would try to, mm-hmm. but I mean, if they're... Now, they're on, like, the pretty reasonable uh, part of the trip now. Like, they just finished the first leg, which is in ended in Cape Verde, off the... Uh, off the west coast of Africa. Okay. But, you know, after this, I think they go on the longest leg, which is some crazy distance, where they keep sailing south. 
They go around the tip of Africa and then roar along close to Antarctica, like the shortest way around the world, and end up, I don't know, in like Fiji or something. I don't even know where, but it's like crazy. So they go around Cape Horn? They sail. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. But they stay in, I think they call it the Roaring Thirties. Yeah. Like it's 30 degrees uh, north of the South Pole. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's icebergs and the wind just howls. and Oh, man. Mm-hmm. You got to check it out. Check it out. Anyway, I digress. Mm-hmm. Check out the Ocean Race on YouTube. They're not sponsoring us, but it's pretty darn cool. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that up, Jeff, because I'd yeah, look be up, interested look in seeing Subscribe. I'm surprised they don't, yeah, they don't give us oh. any clips of that on television. That is television. Watch it on YouTube. On your TV. I'm just saying, Kev, major... <laughs> Wide world of sports is gone. Yeah, I know, like man. We used now, to get everything. I know in two years, it's all going to be on YouTube and stuff. Unbelievable. But I know. It's a big change. Yeah, yeah. But thanks. That, this is a great episode, Bill. Good podcast. The, the wild man of the 1880s in Maine. And then, man, that fight uh, account is unbelievable. Yeah, and I love that old stuff, those old clips. Newspaper oh, articles, you know, it really brings to the table what it is that we're talking about here. This is not some wa- wives' tales, yeah. some fables, some imaginative, yeah. imaginative creature. This is the real deal, folks, and they're out there. It's not. It's not a leprechaun. No, it's not. They don't wear a little buckled shoe and a weird little <laughs> hat. What was that guy's name again? Donut? <laughs> Donald. <laughs> Donald. Don't pick on him. I'm Donut. picking on him. Hey, see, see, whoever wrote in and said to Unbounded, was that you, Donald? That's, that's, <laughs> that's what you get for bringing up Unbounded. You set my brother off. Well, anyways, folks, if you should find yourself walking around the woods in northern Maine, Or perhaps you're over the line like the Frenchman was. You better remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.